Hello, hello, everybody. Uh, excited to be here. We are joined by the amazing Moni. And oh my God, why did we talk that whole time? I never asked you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it. I think I can. I, okay, ready? No judgment. So go. Okay, no pressure. Take take your shot. Moni Olayeti. Not bad at all. So close. Olui Day. Okay, one more time. I'm ready. A Louis day. A Louis day. A Louis day. Oh my God. That's a little harder for me. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Where's that originally from, Moni? Uh, my father's Nigerian. My mother's American. Okay. My father's Nigerian. That's awesome. Yeah, I've never. So I actually, I grew up like in a mission family. So I went to Ethiopia multiple times, Kenya, Senegal, Swaziland. So I grew up all kind of visiting Africa, South and Central America. Yeah, yeah. So in some parts of like Central East Asia, Southeast Asia. So. That's awesome. Well, thank you for being here with us today. Um, very excited to chat with you. Uh, you're coming from marketing ops, living in that world, running campaigns. So I'm going to try to go deep on that today um, and get a much more technical, hopefully, and deeper interview. Um, and we get a lot of times. Now, before we do that, you know what it is. <laughs> you know what it is. All right. We have sour candy. We're going to start with the Warheads. Are you ready? Yep, I got it. I'm going with the strawberry grape flavor. So okay, I got oh, mango, something mango, okay. mango melon. All right. All right, here we go. It doesn't ever get easier. It doesn't get easier. <laughs> okay. So when people are thinking here, and we're talking about scoring, okay? Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming you do a little bit of scoring, modeling, and things like that in your role. Is that fair? Sure. Yes. Okay. How do you think about thinking a percentage of points or mm -hmm. a label firmographic, who they are mm -hmm. versus the behavioral, what they do? How do you like to think about waiting for those listening? And what have you seen in your experience? So um, we're going to start off controversial because okay. I actually – don't believe it is not the word. I feel like lead scoring has its place huh? in a certain type of organization. So huh? from a B2B standpoint, I don't really like lead scoring. Okay. Because this is a hot take. Because you're dealing with multiple people in the buying committee. Okay. And what are you really signaling when you're saying something is qualified? What does your score actually mean, really? Most oh. of the time, it just means one person did a lot of shit. Yeah. No, no. 100%. You know what I mean? No. Yeah. No, no. I get exactly what you're saying. So if we think about it that way, but devil's advocate. Yeah. Right. So I'm in this unique spot where I I run revenue for directive. Mm -hmm. So I and then I happen to like have started an SEO and PPC shop with my friend. Sure. Right. Yep. But my role is really not SEO and PPC so much as revenue. And so when you think about revenue, mm -hmm. right, we have full sales development, AEs and marketing here. Yep. 
and marketing, if they can integrate with sales development, can be great. Now, one of the hardest parts about integrating with sales development is knowing when to send something from marketing to sales development, right? You got a headcount associated with it, so you got to make sure you're efficient and their their activities make sense. So, how for not doing lead scoring, how do we know when to give something to sales development in your mind? Like, how so how do I? Yeah. That is the key because I believe in everything you're saying. I believe in sales development. I believe in that handoff, all that stuff. Yeah. I don't. I haven't. I'll go so far as to say is I in all my 15ish years of doing marketing technology, I haven't seen it work without the SDR. Okay, in yeah. B2B. Yeah. So I believe in it. I don't think you need scoring to do that because okay. there are. Once you do scoring, you realize that there are just certain levers that. That what's, that's what qualified means, right? It's just like when they schedule a demo, when they contact us, when they do the thing, then they want to talk to you. So, yeah. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? But I so you're saying that they're trigger-based because just because there's they, a percentage of like yeah. if you have leads and you know you bring them in, there's going to be a certain percentage that if you, the SDR calls are going to take up. That percentage is always fairly low though it's almost as like shooting in the dark low like i've never seen that be like above double digits it's single digits yeah, yeah. so really it's like you might as well have if call on all of them because you're doing the same thing in my opinion you know yeah. so my if you're lead scoring that what i've seen at work quote unquote they're really just scoring the high, the high value stuff so just give them the high value stuff and then all your marketing leads to the high value stuff. This is B2B. B2C is obviously quicker and just get to the thing. Um, but that's when I've seen it work. Okay. I like that. So that goes to my whole thing that I have a problem with these works. I'm kind of like you in a lot of it. Now, I still believe in it only because I've got my hands on the AE marketing and SDR in a personal sense. So I can kind of have a little bit of like nuance to why, but where it breaks for me too is scoring beyond first touch. So what I mean by that is if you have scoring set up for behavior, it like you were saying, like if they do a big item, they're automatically, they hit your you know MQL number and they're 100, right? But then the little items, because the score, the way the scores work, it's like anything they do makes them an MQL, even when they're not. And so it's like trying to find that thing of like, if yes. they've been to your site, like, so what a lot of people do, they call it like AQL like, uh, or AQE, automatic qualifying events, yeah. right? So that's what you were talking about, demos, high value things. What I found though is the difference between uh, uh, like a high quality event, something that qualifies them, and a low quality is so small in the way people do scoring that you either have people you already would have reached out to and then people you shouldn't. But if the scoring isn't big enough, and this is kind of my thought, is if we can increase the scoring, because there are people that, like, if they keep going back and reading case studies, but they're not doing those events, you should reach out to. But most people set up, if they read a case study, reach out to them, and then it's too early, like you were saying before. So my thing is maybe if we stretch out scoring, there could get some intent in there. But, yeah, I'd love to hear your take on that. So it's just switching the perspective. You do all the same things, but you just switch the kind of way you look at it. So I do it more in a, in a buyer's journey sense, right? So you kind of meet the, the customer where they're at. So if they're looking at um, white papers, per, right? Like 
that's normally in a high funnel awareness-ish kind of thing. Like you're trying to educate yourself on something. Just because they do that doesn't mean they're ready to get to the SDR, right? They're educating themselves. So don't stop. But in your, wherever you can meet them at that white paper, so on the thank you page or in your thank you email or in the next email nurture or whatever, is the next stage thing, the consideration. So they did the white paper. Now give them the case study that shows them how we apply this to our customers, right? And then it's on and on and bring them on to then the demo. So you're meeting them where they're at because think about you being the customer in the customer shoes. I don't care if I did five white papers, I mean, five case studies. If I'm not ready to buy it, I'm not going to buy it. You're just bothering me. So it's like we're in a digital world where like people know how to reach out to you. We, they're not dumb. You know what I mean? They don't need like a, a buyer map. They can go to your website and go to the contact us form when they feel like it. You know what I mean? It's like we think in our heads, like if we set up all these mechanisms and all these parameters, they're going to do everything. They're not. You know what I mean? They're going to do what they feel like doing, you know, when they feel like doing Yeah, right? Like it's like good luck controlling people. No, I, I like that. So if we think then about how do we get someone from interest to action, what are some of the assets that you've leveraged that are maybe less obvious? So beyond the webinars and the white papers and the case studies and the Gartner report, what do you got that maybe someone here could add to their repertoire? That There's seen no kind of hidden lever. It's when you do it is the secret. Okay. So it's not the what, it's the when. So like I said, people like to do yeah. this, like they're going to do this and this. And then when I send the email, they'll do this. It's like, give them, when you give them the thing, whatever the asset is, the white paper, the social media post, the whatever, always have the what after that that's what people miss it's like once i do the webinar then what you know what as as if i'm the if i'm the customer right i attend your webinar i like it but i'm not ready to buy yet then what right that helps you think as a marketer right now they're not ready to buy yet then what that's the key how do you most people are waiting on sales to do something so in marketing right they like we did the webinar and we send the leads to sales development and they call them but then marketing's like done. Done. And you're saying we gotta have that next step that hey guys, thanks so much for being the webinar. As a next step, step. Here's, here's some what? things you could do with our brand. Join our newsletter. Look at our next blog post. What something other ever, because remember, it's marketing, it's impressions, right? It's not Snickers just doesn't do the commercial. They do the commercial, the magazine cover, they got the billboard, they got the you know what I mean? Like you just marketing is doing a lot of impressional stuff. So whatever you can do for the next thing to keep the next thing in front of them until they're ready to raise their hand is what you need to do. Because what people I find do, and this so like a lot, especially in advertising, people love to take their primary KPI demos and then just jam demos down people's throat, yeah. regardless of if they're ready for a demo or not. And so what you're saying is like, sure. If they want a demo, they know how to get a demo. And, and you don't need to just be like, demo, demo, demo. It should be like, hey, here's value for where you're at. Like, you watched a webinar. Maybe the most natural thing isn't like demo, demo. If it was, you can go get one. Maybe it's more about like, here's a use case. Or here's a here's what uh, someone else said about our product. Or here's – I see what you're saying. Exactly. I like that. Exactly. Because what you just hit the keyword you just said is value. 
Marketing is communication of value, yep. <laughs> right? Like oh, just keep giving value and you're going to eventually get it back. I love that. Now, so we're talking value. And one of my notes I had here for you was, how do you think about valuing content? Right? So yep. we live in this world where everybody wants to do attribution, yet nobody wants to do attribution modeling. Correct. We're going to talk Correct. about that in a second. Facts. But they all want to do attribution. It most traditionally lives on first or last, and there's very few that's else in between. Yep. So when you're sitting at Fidelis yep. and you're like, how do you go about trying to go grow content's budget? Because you seem like someone who believes in content and creating value, yet I would argue every organization I've ever seen struggles to create a monetary value and or increase investment in the content, like on a consistent basis, like paid growth spend quarter over quarter i don't see content teams growing that budget for what what's the gap what do people need to do different what have you seen what's your take on valuing content like with a cfo with a finance team the strategy is just again it's just a lot of throwing stuff at the wall that really people think they have a strategy but they really don't so yeah. again the pair view of everything i look at in front in terms of digital marketing is the buyer's journey so analytics yeah. all that <clears throat> and I guess that's, I'll talk about my journey, how I kind of got to this place because it, it'll answer your question. So I, uh, last year, the year before I embarked on this attribution journey, uh, I went through the whole thing and, you know, started out first, last, and, you know, we gave weighted to, I think we ended up giving 40% to the first 40% to the converting and then 20% to the middle. Somehow I went through every opportunity that year, did all this work. So and what I found was obvious as hell, which is that, hey, digital things, webinars uh, or contact us form uh, have high ROI and events yes. don't. Shucker. Oh, my God. So, um, yeah, I did all this attribution modeling for like obvious. It's like, OK, so what I went for, other realized was that it's not clean either. So like some of those. Mm -hmm opportunities, uh, those people came in for those opportunities like five years ago. You know what I mean? It just took that time to get all those things coordinated to that opportunity to finally close. People left, but it was like all of this like mishmash. There was no clean, like anything to it. And then <clears throat> finally, it's finally, <laughs> finally getting to me the, the end. And then what I really realized was I was attributing dollars to things that really made absolutely no sense. It was like, if my buying committee is this large and really only one person did a marketing thing, but the other five people on the account did nothing related to marketing. And it took five years from that starting point to get them there. Why am I attributing $5 and 10 cents to a PPC campaign? Like that was four years ago that I'm never going to do again. Cause it was four years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 like, yeah. When I logically thought it out. It's like, this doesn't make any sense. So my analytics is based on getting my prospects from one stage of the buyer's journey to the next. So when I evaluate my PPC campaign right now is how do I get them from zero to impressions to my website? That's it. That's all I care about. Once I get them on the website, then it's my job to get them to the next thing. I worry about that campaign does that. So I'm grading it on where it should be in effectiveness of what it's supposed to do then, not if it has revenue at the end of it. I'll get the revenue when I get my steps from one to the other and then to the other to the other doing proper marketing. I'll get to my revenue. I'm not worried about that. But when I'm evaluating my individual campaigns for what they're supposed to do, 
one station like next, then it's a winner. That's interesting. Okay, so one of the things I find problematic with attribution, I love your take on it, is people don't actually understand it enough. And what I mean by don't understand it enough, they don't realize, for example, if you're running HubSpot, and you're doing first interaction, last interaction, first touch, last touch, whatever they're going to call it. That's at up to the opportunity level. Mm-hmm. But then they forget about how valuable everything else is from demo to close. Yes. So one of the things we did, it was really, really interesting, is if you run directives analytics on first touch or last touch, mm-hmm. organic, social, this show, useless. Zero. But if you run it on full funnel and you measure it from all the people that are currently talking to sales, engaging with our content and doing other things, all of a sudden organic's the third largest driver. So people think about organic like all it does is bring people to your house. To the top. What they don't realize is it makes people fall in love with your house. And so like what's your take on that and like people doing all pre-demo attribution instead of like Full why revenue attribute. That's what I'm saying. That's why I look at the yeah. customer journey. It, it forces yeah, yeah. you to do that. It's a forcing function that makes you do that. It is the pair yeah. of you. We have this like the funnel is this, and it's not. It's this way, and it's all over the good goddamn place. You back around and around again, like especially you were uh, you SaaS, right? So in SaaS, you making your LTV even post revenue. Yes. That's the craziest part yes. that people aren't thinking about when they're doing attribution modeling is if your CFO has all your margin baked into six months post-close, yet you're only tracking attribution up to close, what are we doing here, right? Like, like how are we actually valuing organic if all organic, and that's one of the problems we have an agency, right? And, okay, break, we gotta do one more. Uh, I'm gonna go uh, mango melon, I'm gonna go orange pineapple. Okay, hell yes. That one wasn't that bad. For some reason, I don't feel like it was that bad today. Yeah, strawberry wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad, right? Maybe they're different levels. Oh, my God. This was sour. This one's next level. Yeah, this one hit. Okay, so what do we do? Because I actually don't have a solution for this, right? So we're working with these massively funded SaaS companies sometimes. Trying to IPO, trying to do a lot of stuff. And they're bringing us in to do really high level search. Like they want to do like big SEO campaigns. Like how do we build out, you know, 500 pieces of topic around piece of content around DevOps, mm-hmm. right? We do all that mm-hmm. and it drives a ton, ton of value. But what I've learned is like people like winning by design. They're, they're a sales org and they do sales consulting. They're really sharp, but their whole sales model and what SaaS believes is that your revenue is post sell right like so you land somebody for three seats and you try to cross sell them into 50 seats right or whatever that is nobody in seo talks about this nobody in paid media talks about this so in your mind is there a way for us to evolve our value proposition as performance marketers to the expansion side instead of the landing side if all the money's on expansion why the hell are we not even measuring ourselves by it talking about it strategizing on it working on it all we're doing is pre-revenue yet all the money made post like what, what what's broken here it's i mean it's it, it it's it is the perspective and it's so frustrating and not only is all the money post-revenue 
but like all of the spend and none of the return is up front. <laughs> like, so there's no return. <laughs> the return's over here. There's no return up here. You just have this, this the cost of doing business is over here. Stop looking for money. We need the LTV tack on that, right? Like you could get way more lifetime value out of customers at much lower customer acquisition costs. But even the nomenclature, here I just said customer acquisition costs. We already acquired the customer. Like we don't even have modeling made for ROI post close. You know what I'm saying? Like, what do we need to do different? Is there anything we can do to change that? There are barriers. And just like we've been working with marketing technology with like with sales for like the last 10, 15 years of like how to break that conversation. The next frontier is customer success or product or whoever owns Mixed that. Panel, product yeah. marketing, he, Pendo, like getting, like how, how, how is Pete, like, cause that's, now we're talking, right? So you got your segment integration, right? So you got segment, let's say as an API, like connector and you got a data warehouse. Yep. And right now everybody's data on the paid side is up to Salesforce. And then their data dies at Salesforce. It's over with. Yep, at close one. You close one, that's the thing. Attribution, marketing, great job, you're done. But we all know that the margin, the cash flow, what the business is making is happening after we're done, and that people are still engaging with our marketing, even as customers. Correct. So I guess the question then is, how do we get access to product marketing's APIs and then come up with ways of valuing like average revenue per user yeah. and connecting that growth, right, to webinars to partner marketing to organic to content and if we can get our greedy little fingers right on that post sale right. that's when i think you and i become way more valuable right thousand percent the sneaky way in that i've always done it is to customer success because there's a natural conversation there like you know it's like they can't say no <laughs> like they know we know like i know so they kind of like sneak around in that way going straight to product is hard it depends on the organization if they get it or if they don't or how like even close uh, corporate marketing is to product marketing. I've seen that be like not a good relationship either. So it's like, yeah, yeah. So it depends on the organization. Um, but the sneaky way I've, you know, the low, the least path, path of least resistance is through customer success. Okay. I love that. Now let's go into another topic here. I love, I just, my brain is like, so now like fixated on this idea of like post-sale attribution for marketing for like yeah. SEO, PVC, that. but databases. Okay. Everybody wants to do ABM yep. until they try to sign up for Terminus Demand Base or Sixth Sense. Uh -huh. And then they got to take that data set, which is completely unenriched, not done by industry, sub-industry. What do, what do people need to be thinking about uh, around like getting ready for ABM and what that means for your total addressable market, your enrichment, and your database? Like, What do people need to be thinking about in your mind? The biggest hurdle is, um, well, there's two kind of major hurdles and it's actually kind of small, but once you get over them, they're huge, good. Yes. It's your, how well are your integrations? And that seems like an obvious, but it's not. Um, so like data, what's the database of record? Like are where, what's our systems creating duplicates? Who's like why directionally syncing? Do we have lead to account matching? Yes. Are we, Cause I mean, I, I've been in your world, your world nasty with this stuff, it's right? Up. Like lead account matching, like oh, data duplication, right? I saw I'm using like Cloud Dingo, yeah. 
for deduping. I'm using lane four for redid count matching. But even when I have all that, now I got a database of 60,000 people, but I'm only trying to sell to 5,000. What do we, what can we do different when it comes to like managing our databases the to go to best class? Yeah. of how the integrations go is yeah, yeah. ownership of process. Who owns this? Whose responsibility is it to make sure that whatever we all agreed upon is our data standardization process is implemented? There needs to be somebody. It's not magically going to happen. I'm sorry. You're dealing with salespeople. You're dealing with people who aren't don't live in these systems. They don't care. It's not their job day to day. Their job is to go do something else. Right. They're in their mind. They're thinking they're doing you a favor. Right. <laughs> like you have to treat it like that. So it's like whose job is it to go? Hey, Randy, can you please change the drop down? You know what I mean? Like it's a pain, but that has to be somebody because no one's going to follow process to a T when it's not their primary role responsibility. Sorry. Define who owns it. Is that sales or marketing in your mind? Who should own it? I've seen both. So, and I've seen shared responsibility too, especially if you're in a large organization, it should be one person. So if the Salesforce owner or Salesforce admin says, I'm going to be responsible for X, Y, Z, and then the marketing takes, you know, the other side or whatever, that's totally fine. So wants to own the whole thing, that's fine too. But outreach, the sales guys got that. If you onboard like um, HubSpot, that's the marketing person. And then they both got to work together to make sure you got a bi-directional. Because I'll tell you what, if you don't do it that way, what you end up with is a lot of automation, which sounds good, but then you have to manage it when it breaks. And when you have a bunch of it, you're asking for problems, right? So it's like pick your poison. I highly recommend you have a is clean automation as you can and then supplement everything else with the human interaction you're going to have so many less problems i guarantee you everybody that's interesting right people love to build it for scale yet they never scale they never scale right like, we love to like i have can't tell you how many people in my own company and when i work with clients that are obsessive well will this scale yep but like it doesn't yeah but you ain't going like how, like, what do you think? If you do approve 10 of them in the morning is better than it breaking every morning. Every time. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. And most of the times we, we, it kills me when like people automate like certain field updates. That's like, Jimmy can go update the status to know something. We don't have to like have a 15 step workflow to do this. You know what I mean? It's just like, if you just ask them to do it and then check if they do it, then they'll do it. However, you can't give them 15 steps to do. I will say that. Now you can't give them like, you have to do this and then, that's not going to happen. But if, if the answer is as simple as all someone has to do is like check a button, have someone check a button, you know? Yeah. Come on. No, 100%. That's what I do. Like my Salesforce stuff is all like no extra buttons. So every button on Salesforce needs to be filled out like right. in and off. Like the way I like, so I love that perspective. Now enrichment database management. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different opinions out there. I love your take on it. Okay. Around what I integrate to Salesforce or HubSpot. Some people are like, hey, we only want to send, we don't want all our marketing stuff sent to Salesforce. We mm -hmm. only want people at a certain stage to go to Salesforce. Sure. I believe in complete bi-directional syncs, yep. but I don't know if that's actually the norm. Mm -hmm. What's your take on like database cleanliness? Do we delete yep. bad context? Do we just keep them? Like yep. Because Salesforce don't make you pay for them, right? So if you got sixty thousand, you got six thousand, you got twenty thousand, you got twenty thousand. No, you're really okay. It, it may be API limits depending on your account, but like, what's your take on like databases? Should I delete people, keep them? Like, what do you think? 
So I believe in open databases. So I believe in sending most everything to Salesforce. Now, everything that's clean and like of our target. Um, so I believe that for sure, because going back to our your first question about lead scoring. Now, if I don't believe in lead scoring and I'm not going to do that, then I have to open my database to all the leads to have sales. You know, when they don't have other priorities, then that's them. You know what I mean? Go find your targets, do what you want to do. So I believe in the open database there. But from a systems management standpoint, you have to have some routine maintenance of a database in terms of like junk, like routine standardization, like routine maintenance, like leads are coming in all the time, right? In and out, in and out all the time. So you have to have some standard of cleanliness for when you're doing things like email personalization, if you do any routing, anything that like your database is based on like you need it to have for some other information, you need to keep that part of it clean in some like routine way. Um, so yeah. as long as that prospect is in my target market, is in the, the right title, you know what I mean? Like has the yeah. all the necessary information, they go all straight over to Salesforce. I love it. Okay, now we're gonna close with one last question. And this is something that everybody kind of thinks about. And I'll just give you a little bit of perspective to start. Okay. I was on Marketo mm -hmm. because that's what everybody owned. Yep. Everybody on Marketo, I like to have like the nicest tech stack. So I got Marketo. Yep. And then I had to use Marketo. <laughs> and Marketo is single-handedly the worst <laughs> product I've ever tried to use in my life. Oh, and so man. I moved over to HubSpot and yep. I was like, what? Money. Like I democratize information. Yep. People who don't like haven't spent 60 million years in Marketo can like find things. <laughs> and, like, so like in your mind, yes. like is HubSpot there? Can people be using HubSpot? Is it all still Marketo? Like what's your take on HubSpot versus Marketo and like who should use what? Okay. I want to say for the moment, for the record that I'm, I'm technology agnostic, I've used them all. Um, there are way worse ones than Marketo. Trust me. Um, believe me. So in, in complexity, so I will give HubSpot all of the kudos in the world. I think that's a phenomenal product. I think if you are, you know, you don't have to have a tech degree or, you know, you know, some sophisticated software background to run it. And that is the beauty of it. And it does a lot. I think that once you get into a certain level of your marketing sophistication, so once you start to do maybe some like you want to do you want to send a direct mail gift and then you want to have like a, a qr code or something on the gift where you know there's a personalized landing page for that person and you know you maybe want to do some other sort of there are other levels of marketing technology that like you can really do some sophist super sophisticated um like plus marketo integration type you can camera. crack out on it super hard um so if you get to that level, like those, once you get to those type of tools, you're talking super large organizations with multiple buying units. It's like DuPonts of the worlds and like, you know, people with who are doing a lot of brands and stuff like that. That's when those tools start to make sense because they are very expansive. Um, but if you're, you know, a you know, regular marketer, I would say, you know, SMB, even slightly to, you know, high level enterprise, depending on what you're trying to do. HubSpot makes all the sense in the world, but I will defend the other ones of like, if you have a large enterprise and you need some sophisticated marketing tools to crack out on, though, those are the ones that you kind of- I love it. I love it. Hey, Moni, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for your insight and your openness. If people want to follow you, get more of this goodness, uh, where can they follow you at? 
Thank you very much, Gary. Thank you guys for having me. This was awesome. Um, that second sour one was, I don't know, that was, yeah, mango something was not fun. <laughs> um, but you can find me at my name on all socials. LinkedIn and Twitter are the kind of most ones that I'm on. So it's M-O-N-I-O-L-O-Y-E-B. I love it. Well, hey, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, that's it for today. See you all next week. Bye. Bye.